0: This is James Eklund coming to you from the great headwater state of Colorado. You're listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thanks again for a great intro, James. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Interra, Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch building a world of difference by Trinex trust in what's next by mentor APM intelligent asset management software built for water and by Woodard and Curran, high quality consulting engineering science and operations services this is session 236
1: Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey.
0: Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a terrific show for you. Nick Diner, the CEO of Moliere, joins us to discuss nanobubble technology. Now, I was uncertain how this interview was going to go. I'd never heard of nanobubble technology before, but as the interview progressed, my mind was racing about potential applications for nano bubbles and clients that nano bubbles could benefit. Nick crushes the interview, and if you haven't heard of nanobubbles before, get ready to get floored. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of the show, Interra, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinix, Mentor APM, and Woodard and & Curran. That is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry, thought leadership, and education, and I thank you all. And I'd like for you to please do me a favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That simple little note of thanks will go a long way, believe me. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water, industry, education, and thought leadership, why not leave a rating interview on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. Oh, and one other thing. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Very important. Please subscribe to the podcast. Now it is time for the main event, the interview with moliere ceo nick diner so let's get that water flowing well nick welcome to the water values podcast so great you could come on uh for those who may not be familiar with you and your work can you kind of give us a background uh on who you are and how you came to
1: the water sector yeah thanks and thanks for including me and moliere today in the podcast um so I've been in the water business now for 18 years, uh, got here a bit by accident. I was working for General Electric, moving from business to business, uh, plastics, industrial systems, automation, and was asked to go to uh, Treebills, Pennsylvania, just outside Philadelphia to GE Water. And at the time, um wasn't too excited. The water business 18 years ago to me was not on my radar, uh, but got a really neat assignment uh, to lead one of the product lines within GE Water. And more importantly fell in love with the water industry uh fell in love with the, the local nature of the industry but on a global scale um fast forwarding a bit 2010 ish time frame had a chance to join a startup in the reverse osmosis membrane business focused on seawater desalination called nano h2o uh, the founder there um, was looking for someone to help to build the business plan or to go to market plan and lead the overall commercial activity so my wife and I moved out to Los Angeles. I joined what I thought would be sort of a short project. See what happens. Um, sounded fun, and luckily it worked out well. Uh, 2014, uh, LG Chem, the Korean giants, acquired the company. I stayed with them for a couple of years to help expand the overall commercial organization in primarily in Asia. So at the time, we were U.S., uh, Europe, a little bit in Chile and Middle East, and then expanded that fairly rapidly with them. And then, uh, as I was leaving LG, I was looking for something else to do and met the co-founders of Moliere. This was the end of 2016 and thought the technology was super cool and decided to, uh, to both invest in it and join them to help grow the business. And here we are six years later.
0: Awesome. So what's, uh, tell me a little about what's Molier do?
1: So we manufacture, what we call industrial scale nanobubble systems. This is a, a distinct class of science to itself, nanobubbles. And so, We manufacture these systems using our patented, what we call nanobubble generators. These are generators that uh, transfer gas into liquid incredibly efficiently. Primarily, it's air oxygen into water or wastewater. So I may say air oxygen intermittently as I I describe it, Uh, but it's any gas into any liquid. And when we transfer that that air oxygen to water incredibly efficiently, we also form uh, billions and billions, if not trillions and trillions, of these. 100-nanometer-sized gas particles, which by definition are a bubble, but they behave completely differently from all the bubbles. 100 nanometers, that's 2,500 times gr- smaller than a grain of salt. Uh, you can't see that with, with the naked eye. It's not visible. And uh, gas bubbles at that scale don't rise to the surface and pop, like all the bubbles do when you're trying to dissolve gas and in water. Um, instead, they remain suspended for long periods of time. And they have a, a, tur- a surface charge. We call them electrochemically active. Think of it as a charged particle that wants to interact with whatever it's around it. And we use them to enhance different physical, chemical, and biological reactions across a wide range of industries.
0: Yeah, so uh, that last part is what I really want to dig into, uh, at least to understand the importance of nanobubbles. Uh, what are the reactions and why are they important?
1: Yeah, so let me start with sort of the fundamentals of these bubbles and what they're doing to water. I'll use water as sort of a, the surrogate for for the liquid because nine out of ten times... Our customers, which are either uh, agricultural farmers or growers or industrial process facilities or even municipal wastewater treatment plants, uh, the liquid is water or wastewater. So um, uh, starting with the fundamental properties of these bubbles, you've got this 100 nanometer size gas particle, again, bubble by definition, but not behaving like a bubble, doesn't want to dissolve easily into the water, has a surface charge. That surface charge is going to reduce the surface tension of water it's going to bond to particles to the opposite charge and oxidize them. An the oxidant would be uh, like for us, it's a low dose oxidant would be like a low dose form of uh, bleach or peroxide or similar to ozone or UV. It's going to create this uh, oxidative reaction that's going to um, help uh, break down or, or separate out certain contaminants in, in water and wastewater or pathogens. If it's in agricultural uh, irrigation water, um, it's They're hydrophobic in nature, so if you're working in sort of oil water emulsions, they're got kind of a tendency to want to focus on the oil and help separate that oil out. so we can use them for different types of you know physical separation uh, processes as well. What happens is we start to think about different types of industries where water is a critical ingredient, and can play a role in improving the the outcomes that uh, uh, customers are, are looking to obtain from that water. So obviously, you know, largest water consumer is agriculture. So you're irrigating, you're looking to grow. They'll apply oxygen nanobubbles to irrigation water to increase yields or to lower the presence of disease and improve water quality to enhance root health, root development, and then ultimately get better quality fruit as well as higher yield in the process I mentioned before. Um, yeah. So that's a good example of sort of how they use it.
0: Okay. Tr- that's great. So uh, it's it's fascinating to me that nanobubbles would actually help yields increase. How 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 is that possible? How because it's the same amount of water, right? It's just the nanobubbles react with the water to do do what to increase yields.
1: Yeah, so so it is the same amount of water, but really think about it it's if you're increasing yields you're actually using less water per, you know, kilogram if that's your metric uh, of uh, unit of measurement of yield. For output. So in that respect, we're actually reducing the amount of water use. And the reason and how we do that, it's a couple things. One of them is the technology dissolves gas incredibly efficiently. So anytime you have highly oxygenated water, you're uh, benefiting the root development of that crop. The the roots want oxygen, the leaves want CO2. So that's going to in itself be a good thing. We're making oxygen more affordable for growers. Then when you combine the actual bubbles themselves to the process, you get added benefits to it. So first and foremost, you know, one of the things you're always trying to control is the presence of disease when you're growing. So waterborne disease, in particular Pythium phytophora, these are the ones that you will often hear growers complain about, can be present in water. The uh, oxidative property of nanobubbles combined with the highly oxidative environment of that irrigation water when applying Moliar's technology will reduce the presence of that Pythium phytophora. So right off the bat, you're getting uh, better water quality. Secondly, oftentimes you'll see, in, particularly in precision irrigation systems like drip irrigation and whatnot, the presence of biofilm. Um, one of the things that we see more and more is that nanobubbles not only reduce and prevent the form, uh, biofilm formation, but they actually also reduce and prevent scale formation. So you're going to get, uh, call it cleaner drip lines, which is going to give you a more efficient deployment or, or uh, uh, emi- the, emitted, uh, the water being emitted out of, the, out of the drippers more effectively, more consistently. And then on top of that, we're starting to see more evidence that nanobubbles are actually improving nutrient conversion or nutrient absorption. So as those roots are taking the nutrients in those fertilizers, the presence of nanobubbles through the bond of the bubbles, particularly to those different types of uh, uh, nutrients like calcium and whatnot, is improving that root um, absorption or uptake of those nutrients. So you start to get not only this highly oxygenated root zone environment, which is beneficial for root development, but you're also getting better water quality, better irrigation uh, 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 integrity from the lack of biofilm scale and better nutrient absorption overall leading to two critical uh, aspects, higher yield and higher quality in fruit and vegetable production.
0: I mean, that's, that's fascinating. Have you done any work like on ROI, like to help demonstrate that implementing a nanobubble solution uh, helps the farmer also increase his or her ROI?
1: De- definitely. So, so every grower that's buying our product is, is doing that math. To make sure they're getting a payback in a reasonable period of time and so um much of it is highly dependent on what they're growing as you can imagine if you are growing cannabis let's say or tomatoes uh your crop is typically more valuable than say leafy greens like a lettuces or or uh, herbs and whatnot and so paybacks will vary full from crop to crop the cannabis grower could get a payback in one growth cycle and harvest uh leafy greens might be over a year but typically All of our controlled environmental ag customers see paybacks in two years or less or ROIs in two years or less. As we start to move to some of the permanent crops, they call them. Think of Central Valley, California, and the the large orchards in nuts and specialty crops and and avocados and soft fruits, for example. Some of the value proposition starts to shift from straight yield improvements to reduction in water usage, better flow of the water through the soil, especially if it's compact soil. Flushing out salts and reducing the amount of times that the clean the, clean the drip line, uh, drip lines that they have out there. So the, the value proposition shifts from being a straight play on yield to starting to see how our technology reduces their input costs to improve the economics through, uh, uh cost avoidance and savings as opposed to, uh, revenue and top line growth from, from yield. But at the end of the day, everything we do in terms that we think about the value proposition, the solution we offer, it's tied to a two-year or less payback. And that's what we target. Because that's what seems to resonate with our growers.
0: <laughs> yeah, money's the bottom line, right? I mean, it, exactly. that, that's what makes the world go round. Um, you know, it's been said on this podcast before that you, know, that, you know, ag is the biggest user of water. I think it's around <laughs> 70% uh, is tip, the the typical figure that's cited. Yep. Um, wh- how much more efficient can you make Water use in the ag sector through nano bubble technology.
1: That's a great question, and, and and as we expand into larger and larger sort of uh, orchards or or farms, let's call it, um, that number starts to evolve. But we think about it more in terms of a yield perspective, right? What kind of yield improvement can you get for the same input uh, of water usage? Because that's obviously the inverse of the other. So we typically, or our customers typically, see yield, see yield improvements in double digits. Um, obviously, the very high tech. Advanced growers may be closer to a five percent yield improvement, but we have growers who have seen uh, the implementation of that technology and suddenly got a fifty percent yield improvement in leafy greens. And so now all of a sudden they're increasing their output by one and a half x without increasing their water input. And that's really how we think about the measurement of water utilization, water savings. When you think about sort of population trends and population growth, right? There's a there's an estimate by the UN that food production is going to have to increase seventy percent over the next twenty five years. Um, obviously, with climate change, with water scarcity, um, with uh, water availability shifting right, from different uh, locations to where there isn't as robust uh, an agricultural community like there is in California, um, it's much more important that we're thinking about output than we're just thinking about straight savings when we think about how to solve that challenge. And so that's how we really think about water utilization. We don't really think about it in terms of, okay, I'm going to reduce the amount of water you need to grow the same amount. Because the real challenge is how do you grow more? How do you feed the planet as the planet continues to expand?
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Um, do you have any like examples or case studies that you could share with us?
1: Yeah, I, I do. In terms of specifically in agriculture, um, one that we've been uh, highlighting from a few years ago, because I think the, the length of the installation success is always important. We have a project in Virginia, for example, at Farms, um, a typical, uh, uh, sort of greenhouse where you have a source water, the water has low oxygen levels that I mentioned before, obviously highly oxygenated water is important for plant health root development. Um, you also have a water that's not you know, properly treated, let's say, as if it was a coming out of a faucet from a municipal drinking water plant. And what we did there was we took the oxygen levels, we tripled them. So you go from six parts per million, which is about 60% saturated to uh, over 18 parts per million now. So now you're 180% saturated relative to what you can get with air. And we do that cost effectively. That's the critical piece, right? We're ma- enabling growers now to hyper uh, uh, hyperoxidate that water cost effectively. And then ultimately what you saw there, what they experienced was that reduction in some of the water quality issues I mentioned before, like Pythium, Phytophora. Um, uh, they also saw the opportunity not to have to chill the water anymore. A lot of growers will use chillers because you want to keep that water temperature lower to maintain higher oxygen levels. Think about how your soda is warmer when it's – sorry, tastes more flat when it's warm. That's because water can hold – or soda can hold less gas as the temperatures rise. So we're able to maintain those high levels of oxygen even with warmer temperatures. So now you don't have to actually chill the water to get the oxygen level back down. And ultimately, what they were seeing as a result of that was the uh, uh, increase in terms of yield as it it relates to cultivation time. So they were able to get four extra crop turns per year as a result of this improved water quality through – utilization of all your as oxygen nanobubble technology.
0: You know, you've all that is very fascinating, but I'm always amazed at the number of interfaces between the energy and the water sector and you identifying the chiller. uh, You can, you don't have to run your chiller either as much, or you can eliminate the need for the chiller through use of nanobubbles. Just another example of the energy water nexus that uh, keeps popping up. It's fascinating.
1: No, it is. And actually, you know, to, not to shift gears to wastewater, unless that was a, a topic of uh, of interest, but well, I'm always we always in, think I, of, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm always interested in hearing about wastewater, so go ahead.
1: Yeah, and one of my favorite stats, I think, is often uh, uh, overlooked, and, and it was, I guess, let's say it's validated when I was with Xylem a couple, of years, a couple of weeks ago, because they made, made a similar comment. About 2% of the world's energy goes to aerating wastewater, which is a staggering figure when you think about all the different sources or uses of energy in this world. 2% going to uh, just aerating wastewater in wastewater treatment plants. And um, that's one of our principal focuses there, right? So in wastewater, what we're trying to do is, is make the uh, uh, aeration systems that already exist at wastewater treatment plants more efficient. And that's how we see that really big sustainable solution with nanomobile technology and wastewater treatment, right? Yes, we'll increase the treatment capacity of a plant so you don't have to necessarily invest as much in new infrastructure, um, yes, it would do some of the chemical input costs. But for us, sort of the big win, if we think about the emission mission-driven company and, and focus on sustainability or sustainable solutions, is how do we make existing stream plants more energy efficient? And that's where our technology comes in, or our animal technology as a whole comes in and plays a critical role in, in delivering that type of solution.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think you're, you're spot on there. Are there other applications in the world? I'm, I'm thinking about specifically... Uh, because of the pandemic, there's been an increase in hand soap and other disinfectants. Uh, have are, are nanobubbles able to assist with cleaning that up or making, making treatment of those uh, substances more efficient?
1: We do. So uh, I'll take you through a little bit how the technology can play a role there. If you think about sort of the role of all these industrial and, and uh, domestic cleaners, like you said, soaps, Uh, the broader category being called surfactants, that come into a wastewater treatment plant, those chemicals are often what makes an aeration system less efficient. So let me start with what that means. When you have um, a wastewater treatment plant, typically a biological treatment process, you'll have some sort of aeration chamber. Think of diffusers at the bottom of the tanks, uh, blowers that are blowing air into those diffusers, um, into into the wastewater treatment plant. They form bubbles. Uh, The bubble's size dictates how fast it's going to rise. The depth dictates the distance. And it's basically a race against time. You're trying to dissolve the oxygen from the air bubbles that are being formed as quickly as possible. In clean water, those bubbles will dissolve twice as fast as they will in wastewater. And that's typically because of the presence of contaminants, in particular surfactants and fat oils and grease, that essentially coat the bubbles and prevent them from dissolving as quickly as they could in a clean water environment. So the first question is, well, how do I get some of those contaminants out to enable those bubbles to dissolve faster, so I need to use less air from the blowers and, therefore, less energy? And that's where nanobubbles come in. So our customers in the wastewater treatment sector, whether it's municipal or industrial, they will inject air nanobubbles upstream of that process, typically right when the wastewater treatment wastewater enters a treatment plant. And as I mentioned before, these nanobubbles are, think of them as charged particles. They're not going to rise to the surface. They're just kind of hanging out, waiting to bond with something. And they will bond with these surfactants, these industrial you know, cleaning chemicals and soaps and sanitizers and even fats, oils, and greases. And they'll start to oxidize, meaning breaking them down and separating them out of the wastewater. And so, as the wastewater leaves that zone where the nanobubble pretreatment took place, you'll have a wastewater that has now less of the presence of these surfactants, these cleaners, and these fats, oils, and greases. And by the time it gets into the uh, sort of the activated sludge aerobic chambers where you have the aeration systems uh, putting bubbles in. You'll have those bubbles dissolve more efficiently. And now all of a sudden the wastewater treatment plant will get higher oxygen levels. And then they realize they don't need those high oxygen levels. They can reduce the blowers and therefore they can reduce the energy consumption to be able to uh, still achieve the outcome they want. And that's how we deliver that energy savings, which not only feeds the bottom line, but also solves some of the, the critical challenges that we have from a climate change perspective. A-
0: absolutely fascinating. Th- let me, th- this is kind of an, uh, an, an off kilter topic or an off kilter mm-hmm. tangent I'm going to take you on. Have you ever used a guaranteed savings contract to uh, help reduce energy costs at a wastewater treatment plant?
1: We're doing our first now, actually. So we have a project in Europe with a, a very large municipal wastewater treatment plant in Eastern Europe that's operated by one of the larger, well known um, water wastewater plant operations company. And we're putting that in place. So what we're doing is we're establishing a baseline with them through three months. They're paying over the three-month period to use the technology. We're establishing a baseline with them. And then we take a percent of the savings that we generate as a result of that solution. And we like that model because ultimately, that's what the technology is intending to do. And so we know it's going to do it. And therefore, it's it's a, a fair... Business model for us to put forward to our customers and it also accelerates the adoption, right? And it's one of the big challenges in water and wastewater that's often discussed, particularly municipal. It's the slow adoption curves, the risk averse nature of end users, which is totally fair, right? You know, at the end of the day, their job is to, to treat water or wastewater to a specification and not miss. So this is one way that we look at uh, taking some of that perceived risk off the table and, but also sharing in the economic benefits.
0: Yeah. You're betting on yourself there.
1: Um, yeah. As we sh- as any technology company should. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, what about, yeah. what about uh, case studies in the, in the wastewater treatment side? Do you have, can you identify anything in that that arena? Yeah,
1: there's, there's two. There's one on the municipal side, one on the industrial side. On the municipal side, uh, one of the projects that we about a year ago, that we like to highlight is at the, in the city of Delita, the Delita San, Sanitary District in uh, California. Galita is just outside Santa Barbara, so sort of central coast area of the state. Um, you know, long story short, and I'll explain how we get there, but basically we save the ratepayers there of one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars a year, uh, which is which is a lot of money for any wastewater treatment plant, particularly of that size. And ultimately, it comes down to some key metrics that we delivered upon by doing exactly what I described before, adding nano bubbles upstream of the wastewater treatment process right when that wastewater enters the treatment plant. So, I mean, first and foremost, on the energy side, well, we reduced the energy consumption by 43%. But there were some other input costs that we also saw reductions in. For example, 10% reduction in solid removal and a 44% reduction in the, in the chemical consumption, which primarily was chlorine for disinfection in the, in the contact base in the final stage of the treatment process. They also saw increases in treatment capacity, which um definitely reduces some of the burden that goes on wastewater treatment plant operators to keep the plant running and meeting the the loading that that's coming into the plant, uh, which ultimately provides peace of mind. And yes, the economics, you know, help the city, they help the you know, the finance folks, but at the plant level, what they're looking for more than anything else is is an easier plant to operate. And I think in some respects that's almost the biggest win from Molier because we're hearing, you know. Happy customers talk about how much easier it is to treat the plant, treat the wastewater as a result of the technology. Similarly, um, uh, we've done something on the on the dairy processing side in Wisconsin. This dairy processor is known as Meister Cheese. It's a well known dairy processing facility in in Wisconsin, which is sort of the cheese capital of the country. And in that case, we actually have a number of systems now deployed in different process units, but. Based on where they started, very similar to Goleta, you know, starting to pre-treat the wastewater before it goes into the wastewater treatment plant or process. Long story short, what they're looking for more than anything else is to reduce the bottleneck so they can produce more of the cheese products that they are uh, creating there every day. And so the payback for them is under one month, you know, from what they've told us. And what we've been able to do there is increase their production uh, of their product, their cheese products, by more than 20%. We also reduced our hauling and we increased our biogas production of the anaerobic digester. So lots of different economic benefits, but ultimately we allowed that factory to continue to produce and produce more. So those are two different ways that we create value, basically doing the same thing. How do we make that treatment plant more efficient?
0: Again, fascinating stuff. Uh, what, what are there other applications? What, um, I mean, you mentioned oil earlier, I, so I could see, is that in the context of fats, oils, and grease, or is that more an industrial application or some sort of energy-related application?
1: No, it's it's both. I mean, there's certainly fat oil, grease removal, and wastewater treatment, whether it's to enhance, the like, a DAF, a dissolved air flotation process, or in a municipal treatment plant where it's coming into the headworks. But we also work specifically in the oil sector. Um, we work in terms of improving both uh, oil production as it relates to using the water that's being pumped downhole more efficiently, so that oil companies are using less water to still extract oil. Uh, and then we also do work on the produced water treatment side, trying to reduce the chemical use needed to um, treat that produced water, so oil companies can reuse it and reinject it downhole, whether it's for a frac or other application. So anyway, and the way we think about Moliere is that anywhere that water is being used, which obviously is across a huge number of different industries or sectors. Uh, that nanomodels can create value we're interested in. Now, we don't do all of it today. You know, we put it on the list. We think about when we can focus on it in the future. But that's how we think about the company, right? We're a platform technology focused on trying to help industries utilize water more efficiently.
0: Excellent. And wh- what about the kind of the natural world? You know, I mean, um, uh, I, I had a uh, Clemson professor on earlier this year that talked a lot about lakes. I've seen a lot of, you know, you see algae bloom issues, uh, in, for example, Lake Erie, we've had that. Can can it assist? Can can nano bubbles assist in resolving those types or mitigating those types of problems?
1: It does. It's a it's a big sector for us. Actually, we call it surface water. Surface water can be anything from a, a lake or a pond that you'd find in a uh, homeowners association or golf course or uh, uh, you know municipal park, all the way to larger scale power uh, sector where they're using, you know, huge volumes of surface water or storm water channels, um, uh, rivers, uh, lakes, et cetera. So we have, uh, several hundred, um, uh, sort of surface water bodies that utilize our technology and what they're really trying to do are three things, um, reduce the presence of muck or sludge. So nano bubbles will help digest or break down that sludge layer at the bottom of a body of water. And that's because the technology is going to start promoting the beneficial bacteria and oxidize some of the some of the the, the the muck that is down near that sediment. Um, secondly, and a lot of times as a result of that, they'll uh, use our technology to reduce odors. They start breaking down hydrogen sulfide compounds and turn an anaerobic environment where the sulfate-reducing bacteria, which thrive in an anaerobic environment, uh, are killed off by converting that environment to an aerobic environment. And then lastly, they'll use our technology to help mitigate and reduce the presence of algae and harmful algae blooms. And And really, at the end of the day, the value proposition of being able to deliver that is that they're doing that in a chemical free solution. So they're not turning to some of the classic you know herbicides, algicides, pesticides, or copper to be able to, to try to get a similar outcome.
0: I mean, Nick, this has been an absolutely fascinating and eye-opening uh, conversation. I've, I've really uh, appreciated it. Uh, we're coming to the end of time here. do you uh, do you have a leave behind message you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of context of, of both Molière and, and what I've been fortunate and privileged to have learned over the 18 years that I've had been in the industry is, you know, as I watch the, the, the industry at the sort of the, the conference level evolve, it's always focused on technology solutions that are going to help, uh, uh, municipal and industrial users treat their water or wastewater more efficiently and help them reuse water, uh, wastewater more effectively, which are, are all great solutions and great uh, problems to solve. Um, but I also want to make sure there's a greater focus on how we help industries reduce the amount of water they use and how they can use water more efficiently by increasing its value, right? increasing productivity as a result of making that water more valuable or more beneficial for their particular purpose. And that's that's really where Moliere focuses. Right? How do we help industries get more out of that water so ultimately they need less of it to achieve their output? And I think that's something the industry needs to spend more and more time focused on, and particularly the agriculture sector, which like you said is about 70% of the world's water consumption.
0: Yeah. There's, there's no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet to help us deal with water stress and water scarcity. It's, it's going to, we're going to need to to find multiple solutions that all come together as one, as a piece of a big larger puzzle.
1: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well said.
0: Right. Um, well, I've, I've had great guests on like you that to help me formulate that, uh, that, that belief. So I, I really appreciate the time you spent with us, Nick. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you and your work at Moliere, where can they go to get that information?
1: Yeah, best place, our website, uh, Moliere, M O L E A E R.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you again. I have I, learned a tremendous amount. It has been fantastic speaking with you. So thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: You bet. All right. Bye, Nick.
1: Bye-bye. Was I right? Nick was awesome.
0: And if you're like me, you went straight to Moliere's website to learn more. It's a a fascinating technology, Nano bubbles are. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast, click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web that Bluefield Research provides. Again, Bluefield Research and the Water Values LLC are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement, and as part of that, Bluefield gives us a home on the web. If you still use Twitter, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values and you can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page I mentioned earlier as well. Well, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to all of our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2023 include Interra, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Trinex, Mentor APM, and Woodard & Curran. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. In closing... Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.